Hey, Rob. Yo, what's up, Mike? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. The, with the world's upside down and we're still doing, I think. So well, this is my, we're going to do these shows like this, right? Right now. Okay. And then like in a week or two, we'll do a video for it. Okay. Like we'll do a bunch of them, but we'll do the video a little shoulder. But for now, let's do it like that. At least we can get the podcast out there. Right. And uh, what I might do is just put a picture of us on YouTube with the with this uh, vocal in the back. <laughs> okay, that's good. At least it's something on YouTube because I think a lot of people are watching it off YouTube. Yeah, I'm definitely putting something on YouTube. It'll be like, a, I'll figure something out. Maybe put a picture. I, I'll even dub it Chinese, worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think just not. Nah, I think just this case, just a picture. Uh, one one picture we have up already, something, you know? Yeah, and then the background. So, uh, Mike, man, what a, what a fucking album, man. End of the century. Yep. Uh, this is the Rock Show episode 62. And um, I got a lot of questions for you because this album had a lot of controversy. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was, uh, you know, when it came out, it, a lot of people had mixed feelings about it. Ramones fans. Uh, it, it was something that, you know, a, a change of, of, of sound for them in some ways, a lot of ways. And uh, it, it was really they were trying to make a hit. And. You know, after four albums of critical acclaim and great live shows, they just never had that hit. But they were trying with this one. Mike, I got to tell you, like, um, I heard some of the demos, and I didn't think the demos were that bad. Like, I heard the demos before Spectre, no. and no, they were um, good. I uh, I wish that there would be, like, a, a, a re-release of that album with just the demos. I don't know if they all exist. But the ones that are on that deluxe version before the Phil Spector production, I, I think they're as good as anything they did prior to that. Dude, and how about the rumors that he had a gun and he kept these motherfuckers yep. hostage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's get into it. You want me to you want me to give the story here? Let's go. Let's go into it. Let's talk about this great album. All right. Uh, we are talking about the Ramones End of the Century album that came out February fourth, nineteen eighty. Uh, it was the band's fifth studio album. Um, and, you know, like I just said, they, you know, uh, commercial success were kind of, was was eluding them all this time. Critically, they were acclaimed. Live shows they were known for. Uh, at this point, they were too big to even be playing CBGBs. They were playing larger clubs. Uh, they had done some big shows in Europe and things like that. And uh, Phil Spector, the famous producer, who did the Ronettes and the Crystals and, you know, the famous Christmas album and stuff in the 60s. He worked with the Beatles. He worked with John Lennon. He was interested in working with the Ramones since the Rocket to Russia album, which was about two years earlier, three years earlier. Wow. He saw them live in L.A. in 77, and he had asked the band if he could assist with the production of Rocket to Russia. But the band said no because they were basically keeping everything in-house. Tommy Ramone, the drummer, he was the producer. Uh, they had some other people assisting them. Uh, they were happy with the way that was going. They didn't want to get any outside influence like that, especially somebody you know, so huge as Spectre. They, they felt it might be a change in their sound. In 77, they weren't ready to do that. Okay? Um, but... Rocket to Russia, and then the next album, Road to Ruin, didn't really hit commercially. So Sire Records asked Phil Spector to produce the next album. Yep. 
and that became end of the century. He was more than happy to take on the project. Uh, he thought the Ramones' natural sound would kind of work with what he was known for, his wall of sound concept. Okay, now, do you understand when I say wall of sound, what that is, Rob? Yeah, it's like a different kind of extorted, like a different kind of sound. Well, yeah, um, but the way he would achieve it is everything would be doubled or tripled. You know, if, if it called for, you know, if something called for one timpani drum, he would have like three. Yeah. Okay. And everything would be worked out in the production and it, you'd get this kind of like distorted, almost muddy sound, but not yep. in a negative way. And yes. it, just, it just made it a lot bigger. And he, he felt that his wall of sound would work with the Ramones. Now, you know, we'll get into that because there's there's some controversy with that. So uh, what happened to Tommy Ramone? Well, okay. By the time, between Rocket to Russia and Road to Ruin, uh, Tommy was growing tired of the rigorous touring and craziness of being in the band. He was more comfortable with being behind the scenes. He he Originally, he was the manager of the band before okay. they ever started, you know. Yes. Uh, and he basically moved to drums because they never could find a drummer. <laughs> You know, if you remember our Ramon show last year, yeah, you know, Joey was the original drummer. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, he, he realized they realized he had a decent voice. So that changed. Then Tommy became the, the drummer for the first three albums. When Road to Ruin came out in 78, the idea was he was going to turn the mantle of drumming over to Marky, Mark Bell. Okay. And he became Marky Ramon. Yeah. And uh, he taught Marky how to play that way because Marky's style of drumming was, was very different. Yeah. Um, but he learned how to be a Ramones drummer and Road to Ruins a great album. But again, it, uh, it was produced by, like, by Tommy and, uh, and Ed Stasium. And um, it, it, uh, it, it was supposed to be a commercial hit, but it wasn't. Okay. Uh, it really didn't do any better than the last three before that. So, you know, by getting Phil, they were really hoping to have a big album with this. Now, Phil's attitude was he would tell Joey because he was he was really trying to get to Joey. He liked Joey's voice. He was looking at Joey as, you know, the linchpin of the Ramones. And yep. he would tell him, listen, do you want to make a good album or a great album? OK, and, and eventually everybody was on board and, and Phil was brought in. Mike, you want to hear something funny? Well, I can think when Ramon's fans first heard this album, they probably was, this is a sellout. Some did think that. Um, you know, I, I, I was, when that came out in 1980, I wasn't quite on board with the Ramones at that point. So my opinions, I was a little young. But when I got into the Ramones big time in 83 and 84, I used to listen to this album rarely. Okay, not a lot because there was just something about it I didn't get. And then it took me a few years, but then I got it. Okay, because the more I understood the Ramones and what they were about, the more I got that album. It's, it's the album, I mean, it, it, Joey especially loved Phil Spector and, you know, yeah. his music. And Dee Dee did too. And, you know, one th aspect about the Ramones that kind of, 
gets lost in the shuffle of them is their their pop sensibilities. Okay, the, you know when the Ramones started, there was no such thing as punk. Okay, no. it, it just it didn't exist. There was no term for it really. There was no genre that said, okay, we're going to start a punk band. No, they started it, but they had every intention of making it. There was no like, oh, we want to stay, you know, unknown or no. The the Ramones wanted to be the biggest band in the fucking world. Okay. The problem was is that they they were playing something that nobody played before. They were, you know, limited musically, but that didn't stop them from writing great pop songs. You know, there's not much of the difference between the Bay City Rollers and the Ramones. Oh yeah. (laughs) There really isn't. (laughs) No. You know, um, they started in the recording sessions for this on May 1st, 1979 at Gold Star Studios in Hollywood. And that was okay. Phil did, you know, all the productions. Uh, the album budget on this was interesting. It was two hundred thousand dollars. Mike, I was looking at that. That's that's a lot of money for one album. Well, it's still, uh, you know, their whole history was their their highest budget they ever had on any album before or after that. And it was actually 16 times the cost of their first album in 76. That's insane. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, Saya, I think, was was pulling all the stops out. They said, okay, 1979, the Ramones had just made a movie, Rock and Roll yeah. High School. Yeah. Um, you know, the world was coming around a little bit. Punk had kind of started to wane off. And then you had, like, New Wave. And the Ramones were trying to like get in on that, you know, ride that wave a little bit. And uh, I think the record company thought, you know, they've been around for a few years. This is their time. So they gave them this budget. Okay. And I'm sure Phil, you know, requested it or, you know, whatever. But uh, they weren't used to recording in in any way like that. Okay. Uh, They were used to going into a studio. You know, spending a few days banging it out and going home. Oh yeah, they were they were in for a fucking shock working with Phil Spector, right? Oh my God, dude, he made them take takes over take like D.D. Ramon and even these guys were doing takes over takes over take, and they were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, I mean, they, Johnny uh, would go absolutely nuts because he would be forced to do. The uh, you know the opening chord of say rock and roll high school for twelve hours. Yeah. You know you just you, that's like Chinese water torture. Yeah, that's what pretty <laughs> much he said. That was a tiny Chinese water torture. Yeah. You want to hear something crazy for the for the song "Our oh, Baby I Love You"? Yeah. They didn't even show the only guy they used. The Joy was the only one. Everybody else was another guy playing a different instrument. It wasn't even the Ramon. Yeah, I mean, because that song is, uh, and, you know, I'm going to go into, like, each song individually, but that one. How fucking just, crazy is that? <laughs> Joey, it's just Joey with, like, a full orchestra behind Yeah, him, how know? crazy is that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was something that I think was more of something that Joey and Phil wanted to do together, you know, without the other Ramones. They stuck that on there um, because that was a song that Phil Spector had written and produced all those years earlier. Yeah. You know, but um, like you said, you know, he would ask for like so many retakes of songs and he would listen to one note over and over or a drum beat. Over yeah. and over. Uh, it was totally 
slow, tedious. Uh, the band just hated it. Uh, Joey probably was the most patient, but the rest of the band, especially Johnny, couldn't deal with it. Um, after the session where, where Johnny was asked to do the opening chord to Rock and Roll High School for 12 hours, he walked out. He walked out, okay? And uh, it wasn't just um, the recording, okay? Phil Spector, you know, was eccentric. That's the only way to describe it. Uh, he would come at, He would come into the studio wearing a purple cape, okay, <laughs> and, and sunglasses with like platform shoes on because he was like five feet tall. Okay? Yeah, and he would sit there and drink his Manischewitz wine from a big like Dracula style goblet. Okay, you know, <laughs> you know he would wear different wigs. Okay. You know, even when he was old, did you ever remember, remember when he got arrested for murder? He had the wig on, the big curly one. Oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah, like, what the fuck, man? What was that? So, Mike, let me give you a little information. So, um, this record was released on February 4th, 1980. So, we're, like, on the 40th anniversary of this we album. Hit it. Yeah, we just hit it last month. Uh, it's, you know, I think now it's considered a classic. Okay, it's I a did, fucking great album. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is. It really is. Um, and, and as years have gone by, I think it, it's really shown that. Um, is it their best album? No, no, no. Uh, but is it is it worth listening to? Yeah, I think it's one of their most interesting albums. Okay, and some of the songs on there are instant classics, like um, uh, like Let's Go. The last song on the first side, yeah. The, the Didi's talking about like you know like war shit and like soldier of fortune kind of stuff, and you know it, it's like that's such a Didi song, you know what I mean? If you yeah, Didi, definitely. You know, Didi was into like soldier of fortune. He used to subscribe to it. Yeah, and you know he he would like write songs and lyrics about you know weapons and shit like that. You know what I mean? That he just did that. He was like a he was like a big kid, you know. Yeah, so Mike, um, so there was the original version of this album was 34 minutes and 14 seconds long. What I yeah. did, I got the deluxe one, and the deluxe was almost like an hour. It was like 51 oh, minutes yeah. long. Yeah, because they, they Rhino had put that out in the early 2000s. They remastered um, all the albums up until Too Tough to Die. 1984 is Too Tough to Die. Everything has been remastered by them up until that album. And uh, what they put on there was the demo versions, like like we were just talking about, yes. uh, demo versions of rock and roll radio. Uh, I think I'm affected. Uh, rock and roll high school, maybe I forget. Um, and then that I love that little commercial at the end. Did you hear that? That is fantastic. Yeah, that little radio promo. Yes, that's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's worth it to get. Uh, Definitely, you know, from Rhino. It's on Amazon. You could probably get it for ten dollars. Yeah, I just got it for my. It's on my um on my um Apple. I got I got, I just I just uh, looked it up and Apple got the whole album and they yeah. got the regular album you, too. You mentioned you mentioned a, a few minutes ago about the story of them in the house with the gun. Yeah, that shit was insane. Okay, now let me just go into that because one night he brought the band back to his house. Now, he had a 23-room mansion, all right? And he brought them back there after they were recording. And after a little while, 
it became clear that like they were not going to be able to leave. That they were they were actually like almost being held prisoner. Um, he had guard dogs in the house. Okay, I think Rottweilers, if I remember the story right. Okay, <laughs> and uh, you know there were certain rooms that you just would look and there'd be a dog sitting in there. All right, and then uh, when they were getting ready to try to leave, he pulled a gun on him and said, "You can't leave." And you know Johnny. After a while, what what had happened was sadly, during these sessions, Johnny's father died back here in New York, and he had to leave. And his attitude was like, "I'm getting the fuck out of here now. I don't care what you do, uh, Phil. What are you gonna do? You're gonna shoot me? You know, you're gonna fucking shoot. You're gonna shoot the guitar player in the Ramones, you know? And uh, he let them go. Okay." But what would, what happened during that night too is is Phil kind of grabbed up Joey and took him into I guess another room where they had a long conversation. Yeah, it was like a three hour uh, meeting. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Joey, I've heard stories that Phil, you know, asked him, you know, this could be a solo album for you. You could leave these guys. Uh, you're the one I want to work with. Not these guys. Like they was kind of fucked up. Yeah, he was trying to split the band. Uh, yeah, trying to get him away, you know. And uh, Joey wasn't having anything of it. He knew that uh, he 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 was nothing without the Ramones. You ever hear the story? Uh, just as a side note, you ever hear the story about Joey and Van Halen? No. When when David Lee Roth left the band, that was like after the 1984 album. Yeah. Remember? Did you know that Eddie Van Halen seriously considered asking Joey Ramone to join? Wow, I did, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It, it it never got to a point where he actually asked him, but he was like one of the people that was seriously considered. He would have been better than Sammy fucking Hagon. Well, anything would have been better than that. A fucking, uh, uh, you know, a fucking retard would be better than that. I never liked <laughs> Hagar, man. <laughs> never liked that guy. You know? Um... You know what? What was the problem too was uh, not just that that Phil um, was favoring Joey. He would like during the sessions, it was just obvious that he had contempt for the rest of the band except Joey. So it made the the recording really difficult. Okay, now Johnny left the sessions because of these problems and because his father died, and he had no intent of coming back. He's like he he told Seymour uh, Stein from from Sire, fuck fuck him. I ain't working with him, all right? And uh, everything kind of came to a head. Seymour uh, got in touch with with um, with Phil. Johnny was back in New York, and Seymour convinced Johnny to come out and have a meeting with Phil uh, in Joey's hotel room in Los Angeles, okay? Because the rest of the band was still out there. And uh, he he went, and they had a big talk. And apparently the, the story goes is that Phil was actually afraid of Johnny. He thought like Johnny was going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> so, like, so like he had his bodyguard with him there and shit at the meeting. You know what I heard? I heard that it wasn't even Phil. That he, they say Phil had a gun, but it was mostly the bodyguards that had guns. Yeah, well, the bodyguards were all armed, but Phil would wave a gun, gun around. He had one in his waist belt. Okay, yeah. Right? Yes, he did. And sometimes he had more than one. 
All right. Yeah, three guns they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's different versions of this. You know, there's Didi's version, which is like, you know, probably not quite accurate. And then, uh, you know, there's Joey's and there's Marky's version. They all seem to have the same thing. You know what? Marky at, first had guns, said, but... Marky at first said that they had guns. And then he said, oh, no, no, they didn't have guns. It was the bodyguard. Like, he changes. Yeah. They changed the story over the years, too. Like, when the album came out, none of this was known. They didn't start talking about this until, like, two or three years later. Okay, you started hearing about little crazy fucking stories that happened during the making of that album. Yeah. But when they, when they released that album, it was like everything was hunky-dory, man. They weren't talking about that, you know. Um, you know, when they had this meeting, when Johnny and Phil had the meeting, they, they basically came to an agreement that they'd have to work faster. Johnny couldn't work the tedious way that, that Phil was, was doing it. So Phil agreed. Okay. Um, finally, when the album was released, the, the, the critical reception of it was pretty positive, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, but not as much as other albums previously. Um, and again, the, the fans were mixed on it. Uh, some felt it was kind of like a watered down version of the Ramones. You know, uh, the production, the wall of sound didn't quite work. Uh, but you know, some people liked it. They thought it was great. And, and it showed that the band could evolve a little bit, you know, and not just be the same album over and over and over, you know, which is kind of what the first three are. Yeah. See, like, you know, like people love to shit on the Ramones and say like all their stuff sounds the same. That's not really true. Okay. That's this album is a perfect example of that. Okay. Cause this sounds like no other album. Yeah. All right. But, like, even if you listen to, you know, if you ever have, have a chance, like, listen to Rocket to Russia and then listen to Road to Ruin. Yeah. All right. There's a difference there. Oh, there they is have a difference, a lot of more song, They have a lot more songs on Road to Ruin that are, like, mid-tempo, not that fast. Yeah. A little bit more, like, you know, Joey doing his singing. And, you know, they were kind of like, Johnny was the one that was always like, we can't change. We got to be the same. This is what the fans want. But the rest of the band, especially Joey and, and Dee Dee, were always open to a little bit of something different. Okay. And I think that that kind of push and pull really worked for the band like their whole time. Oh, yeah. You know, it, you know because if it was up to Johnny, they just would have been making the first album over and over and over. Uh, you know, but... Um, like I said, the fans were mixed on it. Uh, I wanted to kind of go over each track individually. Would that be all right? Yeah, but um, let me tell you, Mike, this album was one of the most successful albums they ever had. It was the most successful. One of the most American. commercial, technically commercial. It, was, it, it got, yeah, I mean, it, it, it almost broke the top 40, okay? I think it got to 44. Yeah, in the uh, U.S., but I think in the U.K. it went up to uh, 14. Yeah, it did. It did better in the UK, and then the "Baby I Love You" single did very well. Yeah. Okay. In in the UK. Uh. So what can you say? You know, I mean, it it, it was their most successful album ever, and Phil Spector produced it. I mean, you got to hand yeah. it to him, right? He did his job. He delivered. He delivered. Okay. Uh, was it number one? No. No. But it actually, you know, if you look at what he had done 
prior to that. He hadn't been that active for a while. You know, like the stuff he did with John Lennon in the early 70s. Yes. I, I, like the, I think it's the, the rock and roll album. Like he does the covers. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that album. I, I think it's just kind of weak. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, his stuff with Let It Be and everything I think is weak. Uh, you know, to me, the stuff he had done, you know, through the 70s, up, uh, except for maybe um, what I do like is uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Oh, it's a great song. Yeah, that, that's the with like, uh, you know, My Sweet Lord on that it. Got everything. You know. Yeah, that's a great album. Yeah. Um, and that was spec to produce. But yeah. other than that, I'm not, yeah. I'm not in the 70s. He wasn't that great. And then he came out with this album. It was released in the beginning of 80. But uh, I think it was his best piece of work in like years. Dude, I think that George Harrison, that album we should do. That should be one of the albums that we do. We could do a make. We could do a making of it. Yeah, yeah. that would be interesting. Because you know what? Since we did, we did uh, the 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 Ronettes, and now we're into the Ramon and the Spectra. It looks, it looks like we're going with Phil for a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a problem with that. That we could do that maybe maybe next uh, you know in May yeah, or something Ma- like that. Mike, I got to tell you, I think this the start of the, this album start with. I, I do. Uh, do you remember rock and roll radio? I love that fucking song. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now when that 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 song is kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll go over each one here. Like that's the first track on the first side, and uh, it's a nostalgic type song, right? Talking about the music, yeah. The band, the band grew up with different bands. Uh, Dee Dee wrote the lyrics, and it was all about, you know, growing up and listening to the radio. Okay, and and we all kind of did that, right? Our generation, generations before. And uh, it it was a different kind of song. I mean, there's saxophone in it. There's all kinds of stuff in that song. I was shocked by that. (laughs) They never sounded like that. Right. They never had that. Uh, It's it. it, Let me tell you, that song was performed live for the next 16 years that they existed. Okay, Uh, every show. And I saw them about fifty times, and uh, they never not did that song. Think about what that song means today. If that song were to come up today, do you remember rock and roll radio? Because it would make so much sense. There ain't no more radio. <laughs> well, people wouldn't even know what they're talking yeah. about. They'd be like, there'd be three, you know, two generations of kids that don't fucking know what. But that you is. know what? That song yeah. was more like a song because there were more video coming out. They would talk about almost like remember rock and roll radio. Nobody's just a radio. Everybody watching video. Because radio went through that phase where everybody stopped listening to radio. They were watching, like, MTV. Right. And there was a good video for this song, too. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's the the Ramones are, like, in a, a room, like a living room, and they're watching a TV. And they're watching, like, clips of, you know, all these old bands that they used to listen to. So, And then there's, like, a funny game show kind of thing going on with the pinhead guy. Oh, my it. God. I remember cool. that. <laughs> It's a cool, yeah, it's a cool video. Yes, I remember and, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that was an early, yeah, it was an early video that was played on MTV. Yeah, you know. Now the second song is a song called "I'm Affected." I I always love it's this a fucking, fucking good song. song too. Yeah, uh, it's a dark song yeah. actually. It has a lot of like echo in Joey's vocals. Uh, the the drumming is very heavy by Marky. Now for some reason, Joey didn't like this song. He felt it was a weak song. And they only would perform it live 
maybe for that album's tour and the one after. Okay, the Pleasant Dreams album. I thought, I thought this song was great, man. Yeah, and I have a years and years ago. I, I still have it somewhere, but years and years ago, I had bought a cassette of a live show of them in Brooklyn. Okay, and I think in Prospect Park, and it was like '81 or something like that. And they do that. It's like they go rock and roll radio right into "I'm Affected" live, and that's and and all the wow. times I saw them, all the times I saw them, I never heard that song. Wow. Okay, they never brought it back. And uh, that particular bootleg, they did it, and they were still doing it. And uh, it, it worked live. It, just, it was a great fucking song. But I don't know why they cut it out. I guess just Joey felt it was a weak song or something. But I think it's a great song. I think it's a great song. Yeah, yeah. Now, the next one is, uh, you know, without a doubt, in my top ten favorite Ramon songs, the song Danny Says. Yeah, that, that's a very good okay. song. Yeah. Now, that's a song that's uh, the lyrics deal with, like, the difficulties of touring, uh, being in places where there's nothing to do. OK. And then the the the, um, the actual title, Danny says, it's a take on Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground songs like Caroline. Says oh, yeah. And, Ste- and Stephanie says songs like that that Lou wrote. He, they decided to make it a Danny set. And Danny was actually Danny Fields, their manager. Okay. You know, so that's why they, they did that. Now, a little side note with this. That song was never performed live in the Ramones. Wow. Okay. The only time it was ever performed live by Joey, I was lucky enough to be there. Okay. It was uh, 1988 at the Ritz, that Circus of the Perverse show I've mentioned a few yeah. times. Um, that was one of the, the things they were promoting with the show. Like it said it on the flyer, like they're going to do that song for the first wow. time. But it wasn't, it was, it wasn't the Ramones. It was Joey singing. It was, I think Marky was on drums. Cheetah Chrome from the Dead Boys was on guitar. Uh, Lemmy was on bass from Motorhead. Yep. And uh, uh, they had some back, Ronnie Spector was on backups. And it was amazing. And it was the only time that they ever... You know, he ever did that song because it, it was—it's like a, you know, it's an acoustic type song. They do it now at the um, at the birthday bashes. For oh, Joey, they do since he since he passed away. Yeah, his brother Mickey usually does it, or or he might do like questioningly off the off the road to ruin album. But a lot of times he does Danny says, and he does it great. His voice is very similar to his yeah. brother's. That he sounds Mike, like. let me ask you a question. Has um the Ramones ever been on Saturday Night Live? Um, you know, I not in the early years they weren't. Um, I think didn't they go on Saturday? No, you know what? I think they went on for Pet Cemetery for some reason. I think yeah, Pet Cemetery or something after that. I think they did. They were on like uh, Letterman. Oh, they were definitely on Letterman. Okay. Yeah, they were on Letterman, um, and and Joey Ramone was on Leno, at least once or twice. I remember that, uh, but I don't think the band. That's a good question. I'm gonna look that up, okay? Because I don't think they ever did Saturday Night Live, Rob. I don't think you know so. what would be a, a interesting show. A interesting show that we did for the that we should do for the rock show bands. They've been punk back. They've been on Saturday Night Live. 
and the songs they play. <laughs> Come on, that would be a hell of a show. That would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, did you see the thing I posted the, uh, yesterday with the Ramones on Shana? Oh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that show, Shana. That was a great show. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. All right. Um, track four is Chinese Rocks. My favorite okay. song. I hate to say that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great it's fucking song. Nice. That was written by, written by Didi and Johnny Thunders. Okay. And, you know... There's stories that Sid Vicious had a hand in the writing, but I somehow doubt that. Um, but uh, the song's about heroin. Chinese rock was a type yep, of heroin. Yes. Now they he wrote that back in like '76, I think, or so '77, yeah. and he had brought it to the Ramones. When I say he, I mean Didi, and they rejected it because they didn't think that. Right, you know, doing a song about heroin at that point was a good Dude, let me idea. tell you, Sid okay. Vicious did, definitely had a role that he probably was doing the heroin and they started writing. <laughs> exactly. They just looked at him and, and wrote a fucking yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, they would do the definitive version of that song. That's the best oh, yeah. version as far as I'm concerned. But, but Joe, you know, the Ramones. In, in 80 with this album, this is the second best Yeah, version. this is it's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the next one is a song called The Return of Jackie and Jackie. I like this one, too. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's very catchy, and it's a musical sequel to Judy is a Punk off the first album. Is that what it was? I didn't, I didn't even put that yeah. together. Yeah, if you listen to the lyrics, it's, it's, it's talking about Judy from that oh song. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, what happened to them next? Okay. They went to the mug club. They got drunk. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, Marky Ramon, during the recording of this, you know, when when they brought this song out to do, like, he he was like, this is corny. He's like, why do we got to do a sequel? Okay. But it works. Okay. It's Um, fantastic, man. I think it's one one of the best songs on the album. It's just so fucking catchy. It should have been a single, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, if you listen to it, you'll hear some hand clapping in the song. And that's actually the DJ Rodney Bingenheimer doing all the oh, hand claps. Right. That was like trying to figure that L- out. Yeah, the LA DJ. Yeah. yeah, he did it. The next song is, uh, I mentioned this before, the song Let's, yep, Go. Let's Go. Okay. Now that's the, the heaviest song on the album, I think, I believe. And uh, to me, it's a personal favorite Ramon song in general. But the songs are all about guns, ammo, soldiers of fortune. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a typical DD kind of thing, you know. He was into that stuff. Now, side two starts Baby I Love You, the seventh yeah. track. Okay. Now, it was the cover of the 1964 Ron Ed yep. hit that was originally produced by Spectre. And it's the most controversial and divisive song on the album because I think this was the song that people went like, what the fuck are they yes. doing? You know, why are they doing a song like this? You know, but it just, I don't know. I, 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 over the years, I used to skip it. I used to skip it all the time. Okay. But over the years, I've learned to like really kind of appreciate Joey's. It's a great version it. of the baby. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it got released as a single and it, it didn't chart here, but it got to number eight in the UK. Yeah, the UK always been very um, different than the Americans. Yeah, there's, and there's actually, you could look it up, that they were on top of the pops, I think, and they actually performed it. Now, 
it's funny because you have the band on stage, Joey's singing, but the band obviously is not playing a fucking thing because they're not even on the stage. Yeah, that's crazy. That <laughs> is crazy. But but they go but they're going through the motions and everything. It's funny. Okay. Um the next track is is one of my all-time favorite Ramon songs, and I would put it as probably one of the best on the album. This Absolutely is definitely called I Can't Make It On Time. Great song. Okay. I Can't Make It On Time. Now, that was a perfect garage rock pop kind of gem, really. And it's almost like forgotten. Like, people forget this song on the album. Um, and again, this is a song that, that they, they never continued doing. They did it live, I believe, on the next, you know, this tour in 80 and then the tour in 81 and 82. And they it just disappeared. I never heard them do this song live either. It's, it was a song that I, I, I always like anytime I would make like a Ramones mix, this song would be. Hey, let me tell you, you know, you want to hear something crazy? This, this, I hate to say this, but this was more like a dance album. Well, not dance, but it was. It but was you like, could move with it. Like it had some rhythm for you to move. Yeah. yeah. No, it's look. All the Ramon songs are danceable. You just got to know. No, how to but dance. I mean, this one was probably <laughs> the most like, let's get down, let's boogie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was about look. The Ramones are always about yeah. fun. Okay, and that's that's the that's the thing that people don't get with them, and the ones that do get the Ramones, they yeah. get that. You know what I mean? I, now the next track was another sequel, okay? Uh, track nine, this ain't ain't it's fucking great, okay? Yeah, now that's a it's a corny song. I mean, oh. the lyrics in the background going like bop bop banana <laughs> like that, right? Okay, you know, and he's saying like this ain't Havana. Do you like bananas? You know, it's a t- Johnny and Dee Dee wrote the song. It's a silly song, yeah, but it's catchy as fuck, just like the Return of Jackie and Judy, and uh, it works. Then you get into track uh, 10. Great song. Which is a classic, Rock and Roll High yep. School, right? Now, this, the end of the century version is different than the version on the movie soundtrack a year earlier. Yeah. All right. It was given the whole uh, wall of sound treatment with some sound effects. You got like, you know, you got the school bell ringing at the beginning, okay, and all that stuff. And you hear the crowd of kids, and then the song just kicks in. And, to me, it's the definitive version of that song. That's the version you got to hear, you know, uh, in the, in my opinion. Um, the next two tracks, I I, I always kind of had a a, a love hate kind of thing with because to me, it seemed like the album should have ended at Rock and Roll High School. Oh yeah, like that, like that I always felt like that could have been a perfect track to end with, like just. That was the end of the album right there. But they went with two other songs after that. One song called All The Way and another one called uh, High Risk Insurance. Now, they're two Ramones attack songs. I mean, they're like fast, catchy. And I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, for years, I thought they were kind of throwaway songs. But after many years of listening to them, they're great fucking songs. Yeah, they okay? are great. They are. Now, there's one line in uh all the way that uh, there's an interesting story with it that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you there's a line in there that says i love all the mod of the men but why are they alive okay so he's talking about the, the sound people i love all the mod of the men but why are they alive <laughs> now do you remember when guns and roses played the ritz live on tv yeah i think it was like 88 
something like that. Okay. There was one part of the show where Axel, in between the songs, he he says that. He goes, hey, he goes, I love all the monitor men, but why are they alive? And, you know, he's like talking to the to the sound people. Yeah, to and, fix the fucking sound. I, yeah, yeah. I got the reference. You know what I mean? I was like, shit, he's quoting a fucking Ramon song right there at the Ritz. You know, but like so many people went over their heads. But I was like, wait a minute, that's words from a Ramon song. You know, I thought that was an interesting side note. You could actually see that show still. Um, uh, they on YouTube, I think you could see it. A lot of the rich shows over the years have popped up on on YouTube because they used to record them. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, back in the day when the Ritz was still around, you could see a show, and uh, oh, let's say you missed it, you couldn't go. Okay, you could go down into the village like two weeks later. And buy a video, it would be bootlegged because somebody, somebody would always record it like professionally, like right there. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And I had, I had a, I have a bunch of videos still from them, uh, like the Ramones and, and, and Rich shows that were just right off the board, you know? Wow. So that's it for the album. Uh, I think. What up? You had, you I forgot high risk insurance. Oh yeah, well, high risk insurance. It's it's just a Ramones attack song. It, it's great, you know. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I I I'm just giving you my opinion because for for a long time I kind of used to skip those two songs. Yeah. Why? But then just years later, I like really appreciated them. They were really good. Yeah, because the original. Yeah, it was like those two songs came in, and yeah. then if you got the the deluxe one, it goes a little further. They got I want you around. They got a demo of well, Danny song. I want you around was from Rock and Roll High School. It was on the yeah soundtrack. the soundtrack. Yeah, it was on the soundtrack, and I believe Phil Spector had a hand in producing that. Okay, I believe off the soundtrack. Uh, I think he goes uncredited, but it was kind of like he was brought in to kind of show the band what he could do with his music, with their music, and. That was kind of like, because that came out a year earlier. So right around that time was when they were talking about making End of the Century. And he was he came in, like you like on that version on the deluxe, it's, yeah. the, it's the demo version. But on the Rock and Roll High School soundtrack, it sounds different. It's got like a, a you know, more of a produced sound. You know, what's the other song that I like of this was uh, for the demo was Please Don't Leave. Yeah, that was that's an unreleased track. That that was that was never. It's an outtake. They never used that song. Dude, I thought that was fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, um, on all of those Rhino re-releases, everything the from the first album up to Too Tough to Die, they all have demos and live stuff that's never been released. And I had made a years ago when that came out. I had made a a CD of all the demos. On one disc. Wow. And I still listen to it because when you listen to those songs, like th- some of them are like, how the fuck did this not make an album? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's not a long song. Just stick it on there. You know what I mean? But, but, you know, it, the best bands always have throwaways like that, that go like, you know, the Stones have them, 
you know, they got throwaways that you can make a whole album out of, you know, uh, that's how great the Ramones were. Like their throwaways were that good, you know, crazy, man. Crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, this is the Ramones end of the century. Next one, what are we going to do? The Yardbirds, right? The Yardbirds, I do. I've, I started reading a little bit about them, doing a little research. I forget, They had fucking uh, Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. Jeff Beck, and fucking um, Jimmy Page all played with these motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the most important bands of all time. We'll be talking about them next on The Rock Show. Yeah. Um, and, Mike, uh, where can people find you if they need to reach out on you? Okay. Well, you know, this is the... Uh, the apocalypse version of, of the rock show. I'm I'm, 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 I'm in my apartment in Queens. If you want to come visit me, if you don't have a virus, but uh, no, you can find me on Facebook under Michael Baker. I'm still doing my Facebook shenanigans. And uh, also um, I'm on Instagram, rocker, Mike two, one, two. And on Twitter, rocker, Mike three, hopefully the bars will be open by the time this gets shown. And, yeah, like, uh, you, um, you guys, you guys will will be back in sitting at Ibar, hopefully. Somewhere either Ibar Seven B, and then um, you, yep. you can reach me out at um on Twitter, on on Facebook, on Instagram, anything social media. You can reach out to me, uh, Rob Rossi, or you can just go look up Getting Lumped Up, and we're everywhere. With so many different podcasts that you can download and find us. Um, we're making a big move this year because I think finally we'll catch a little stride. And I think with this, this thing might help us. People might want to actually listen because they're going to need entertainment. There's yeah. no sports. <laughs> Nothing else. Just listen to the lumped up shows, people. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, remember, don't get drunk. Get, get lumped, lumped up. up. Yeah.